0: You know, Lily, we were just getting into some of the real juicy stuff about what a product manager actually does in our last episode with Marty Kagan. It's a shame that we had to end it where we did.
1: Randy, you do remember that we actually kept chatting with him about ethics, delivery management, coaching, and more, don't you? Oh,
0: yeah. Um, it's all coming back to me. Hmm. I wonder whatever did happen with that missing part of the conversation it sure would be nice if we could run it this week.
1: Which is exactly what we're doing. So stay tuned for more words of wisdom from the Sage of Product Strategy. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week on the podcast, we talk to the best product people from around the globe. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover more.
0: Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium content Discounts to our conferences around the world and training opportunities. Mind the product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities. And there's probably one near you. So, okay, we've talked a lot about uh, about product leadership and vision and strategy. We had a few questions that we wanted to ask uh, separately about the actual role of a product manager. We started to touch on it, but a big thing that's come up a lot lately. Is about ethics and the responsibility of people at the, the different levels. You know, we've had Francis Haugen came out and talked a lot about what happened at Meta. We've had people from Twitter, uh, from their ex head of security, and you know, well, a lot lately uh, coming out and talking about various things. And you know, product people always, always talk about we have all the responsibility and none of the power. So when it comes to ethical questions within our product lines what is our responsibility you know not, not necessarily as a leader as a as a
2: line product manager yeah well and that the reason this is so relevant is because you know there's a huge spectrum of things that can be ethical issues of course but most of the time in a in a tech powered product company it's not intentional now I would say Meta is an exception to that it is intentional there. <laughs> but um uh, but for most companies it's not intentional. It is uh accidental side effect or consequence of otherwise good intentions really. I mean they're just trying to build a business, please customers, do something, but they don't realize that there are side effects that could be very bad for their customers, for society, for the environment. And so here's the thing. Very often the first people to see these unintended consequences are the product teams. And in particular, the product manager product. If you really want to get literal, the product manager and the product designer often are right on the front line of seeing, Oh my gosh, this might go very wrong here. And here's what could happen. And, it's not again that anybody anticipated that. It's very hard to know these kinds of things until you sort of see prototypes and start getting people interacting with them. So they are often the first ones to get the realization that there is a problem. Much harder is then what should they do? This is because now we really have to talk politics here for a minute. The product manager if the first if the product manager just goes to the CEO and says like you're unethical or you're terrible, you know, it's not going to go well. It's just not going to go well. And the truth is, the ones, every CEO is nervous that the product managers uh, are clueless about how to run a business. So that happens way too much. And so they're, they kind of want to just write the person off. So it's important that the product manager be smart about this. Uh, the first thing I always recommend is, you know go to your manager and get some help on this this is a really important thing to kind of go get some help on some companies actually have now a chief ethics officer which i think is a really you know the truth is only a few have it but i would love to see that trend take off more because you know if, if there's a if there's a legal issue we go right to the general counsel we go right to the lawyer if there's a privacy issue, we will go right to the privacy person. If there's a security issue, we go right to the chief security officer. We we have people who we could work with, say, like, what's the best way to deal with this? Because this is a real risk to the company. But with ethics, it's like, who are you supposed to go to? Mm-hmm. So having a chief ethics officer would be a good step if more companies would do it. But at the very least, this is one of those things you really – want to bring in your manager. And honestly, I would, you know, if it was an organization I was involved with, it would go directly to the chief product officer. Now, the chief product officer would probably come right, let's say I was the product manager that raised it as an individual contributor. Chief product officer would probably come right back to me and say, I need you to, thank you for identifying this, but I need you to start thinking of alternatives and solutions. I don't want to just say, this is awful. I want to have a better approach, a better alternative. Because a lot of times that's all we need to do. That's it. We just need to go back to the drawing board and product discovery and find a better way to solve it that doesn't have these negative consequences. So, but, you know, sometimes what do you do if you can't? And, you know, you're struggling with that. You need to be able to escalate that. And, you know, I do believe if you ever find yourself at a company where you get convinced that your your CEO is not only aware but they don't care, then you should leave. I've been telling people to leave Facebook slash Meta for years. Hmm. So because of that, it's because there, it's been all it's been all over all writings on the wall there for many years. So something that's uh, come up
0: in the, in the past week or so from when we're recording is, you know, Elon Musk just bought Twitter. And this is not a Twitter question. I'm not going to ask you what, what Elon should do. But there's been a lot of stuff about they need to ship new features really quickly and people working lots of hours. And in Inspired, you said uh, something about, uh, I don't personally know many people who are able to do what they need to do in less than 60 hours a week. That's always troubled me, to be honest. Because the implications for work-life balance for anyone aspiring to be good at product, it just sounds like a terrible life. And that's not always what – either I'm terrible at what I do or – or. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just curious. Well, I want to dig into a little bit what you
2: mean by that and w- how you can do that. Let's separate the two. I think the Twitter mm-hmm. is a good conversation, but – you know, this is important, and a lot of people misunderstood this. And I, when I do a third edition of Inspired, I will definitely do a better job explaining it. I have published articles that clarify this, and I encourage anybody. I think coaching, what's it called? Coaching uh, work-life balance, something like that. There's a whole thing that spells this out. But the, the 60 hours, what I was saying in, in Inspired, it says the 60, why is it 60 hours? Because so many product managers want to also be a project manager. And so the, what's going on is they have 40 hours of meetings in the week and that's, and then they have no time to actually do the product discovery work. And so what I was saying is you really have a choice. You know, you can either stop doing all that project management or you can work 60 hour weeks (laughs) and that, and in truth, I was saying, yeah, a lot of people I know, they choose to do the 60-hour weeks because they're they're not comf- comfortable letting go all that project management. And I say explicitly, I don't recommend that. <laughs> I don't encourage that, but that's what so many people do. So if you, you, this is where the manager needs to help that person to decide. Do you want to be a project manager? You want to be a product manager? Because um, too many of them, and I, I, I know so many people where they're guilty of this. They work so hard, honestly, more than 60 hours, but they don't get anything important done. Because the, what are they doing? They're playing project manager, like Jana described. They're doing all these other things, but they're not actually doing their job. So that's the issue there. Now, Twitter is a different situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Twitter is, you know, and I, first of all, I sh- we should acknowledge. Um, You know, I think with both Tesla and SpaceX, Elon Musk demonstrated he's probably the greatest product leader in history, living or otherwise. Just what he's been able to accomplish has been amazing. But Twitter is pushing him in a new direction. And Twitter is unfortunately showing the character issues, not the product issues. And he's not looking too good right now. And he needs to learn a lot faster or he's in trouble Now, the truth is, though, you know, Twitter has needed product help for a long, long time. But the hardest part of Twitter is not product, it's policy. In fact, I'm working on another article, this one's on the difference between product and policy. Policy is a very different kind of hard. And that's what, you know, honestly, that's what Elon is struggling with, not the product part, it's the policy part. And, um, We'll have to see what happens. I can tell you that if we look at the way he set up Tesla and set up SpaceX, Twitter is in for some very big changes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and yeah, Gina at Tesla they often work twelve hour shifts. By the way, five a.m. to five p.m. So not only is that a lot of hours, that's miserable hours if you ask me. <laughs> so um, but. You know, and, you know, we talk about co-location and I am a fan of co-location, but he's like, if teams are working together, they should be 10 yards away from each other. No more than that. Mm-hmm. It's like extreme co-location, extreme teams of missionaries. He only, you know, he cut half the company the last few days. And one of the reasons he wants people, the people who decide to stay are going to be all in on his way of working. And he also knows, and then, I think he's right. A much smaller group that's committed that way will do a lot more than the old Twitter did, which was very large and doing very little. So, um, you know, there's all kinds of things we're going to watch happen. Hopefully he won't destroy democracy along the way of his learning <laughs> all this stuff. But, uh, but you know, those of I'm us in la- the U.S. are
0: very nervous about this. I'm going to laugh so I don't cry about that one, but I've seen you talk a few times I hadn't heard you clarify the sixty hours that concisely before. I think it's a really important message. So thanks for doing that.
2: Yeah.
1: And funnily enough, one of the sort of just tying back to our talk about ethics earlier, one of the things I was I did ask and then I completely forgot what I'd asked was <laughs> <laughs> that um ability for a company to invite challenge when it comes to ethics and how right. best that's done whether it's like part of the values or, you know, whether it's, you know, set out in, in other yeah. ways within the business. But yeah, is is have you seen any examples of businesses that where they've been really good at kind of inviting that challenge when it comes to ethics? Or do, yeah. do, do you have any suggestions on that?
2: I do. Well, so there's a number of things. First of all, this is very cultural. This is very cultural. I know some companies that have terrible, toxic cultures. Everybody's scared to death to bring up things a lot safer than ethical issues even. Yeah. So um, you know, and that's that's a cultural issue. And in other cultures, they like, this is how we do great products. We're here to debate. We're here to know. Some of you or you may know Sriash Doshi. He's uh one of my favorite product thinkers. He's um He's primarily on Twitter, so I'm not sure what he's going to do going forward. But um, <laughs> but anyway, he he argues, and he he came most recently from Stripe. Before that, he was at Google. He understands, you know, good product cultures, and he says one of the techniques he likes for this, and and his example is not just limited ethics. It's anything that's risky, anything that's potentially bad, and he. Um, He's, he calls them pre-mortems. They're very analogous to a post-mortem, right? Instead of doing after, though, you're doing it early. So imagine this, uh, and I'm channeling Shriash here. He's, he says it really well, but um, he would say, let's get the right group together before before we start or before launch, before some meaningful thing. And the purpose is everybody is not just allowed to predict what could go wrong. They're obligated to suggest what might go wrong. So it's his the way he frames it is, this is all about making explicit the psychological safety necessary to talk very negative, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, normally nobody wants to be that person that just says, oh, this is gonna suck and <laughs> people aren't gonna like it. You know, it's like, come on, we're past that. You know, you should have said, whatever, a long time ago. We're here, like, we're and commit. Don't you know that? And so nobody wants to, most of us don't want to be that person. So we tried our best to make it succeed. But he's like, no, sometimes we actually want people to try to imagine all the things that could go wrong. Ethics is such a perfect example of that. It's like, what if bad actors realize they can manipulate this and do this? I remember discussions like that at early eBay, because the, comp- the culture of your was very much around protecting the customers. Then Pierre, the co-founder, did believe that most people are good. And I still think that's absolutely true. But he said it only took a small number of people to ruin mm. the experience for everybody. And we had a real obligation to protect against that. And one way you do that is by you get the smartest people you know and say, what can you imagine might happen? If you know how could people like how could you abuse this new API new capability to do something really bad. How how might that happen because if we can anticipate it we can prevent it. Yeah. So that's the idea of a premortem. That's just one technique. Obviously it it presumes a culture where people can are supposed to do this and are comfortable doing this. But yeah, I think this is the kind of thing good companies do.
1: And good CEOs, I guess, encouraging that kind of culture. Yeah. So you spoke earlier about missionaries and mercenaries. Um, tell me more about that, that. What do you mean by missionaries in the kind of product context and why are they better than mercenaries? Yeah,
2: well, in the product world, mercenaries basically like their feature teams They're there to build whatever the stakeholders tell them to build. In the worst case of mercenaries, they're not even building it themselves. They outsource it to Accenture or somebody and they build it. (laughs) That's their ultimate. And that's literally a mercenary model. On the other hand, and you know, I said the bad things about Elon, but this is what he's good at. He's good at assembling teams of missionaries. What are missionaries? They're people that absolutely are all in. They love what they're trying to do. I mean, I have to say, first of all, what Tesla's done, amazing. What SpaceX has done, triple amazing. I, I would, if I was just graduating college, I would seriously consider joining SpaceX. I mean, it's just amazing the kinds of things they're doing and have figured out how to do. That doesn't happen in most cultures. It doesn't happen in most companies. It takes, it is amazing to me what empowered, passionate people can do. And one of the things Elon does know is that of all the things out there that are important, the most important is having empowered engineers. It really is. Because that's where all this great stuff comes from. What he's learning is that some companies also need good policy and that's back to the issue. But, but you know, if you're trying to build a rocket ship to you know that's reusable and stuff, you better have some great engineers. <laughs>
0: Okay. Marty, I want to thank you for your time. This has been fantastic. I think we've got time for, for one more question, and I'm going to make it a, a bit of a doozy. Uh, th- probably the hardest question I've got in how to do this job well. So if a product manager's primary role is discovery, how do we end up offloading the delivery part? I mean, why do, we get, why do product managers get stuck with delivery so often and what can they
2: do to avoid holding that can? Well, it's not really hard, actually. The, the issue, more often than not, is the product manager used to be a feature team product manager, and they're having a hard time letting go of their own old sense of identity, their old job, their old role. So what, where they get into trouble is because they don't let go of that, and yet they're trying to pick up this totally new and much bigger job. So, you know, hence the 60 hour work week. So, uh, but if they are, if they have a manager that actually cares about them, (laughs) big if, but if they do, that manager is like, let's have a talk about what you really want to do in your career. And if they really want to go in the product direction, the easiest thing is you have a project manager. Sometimes we call them program managers, sometimes project managers, sometimes delivery managers. But you have somebody to offload those activities to. And there are other role responsibilities you might have. Some of the product managers are covering QA. Some of them are covering product marketing. You know, Some of them are covering product ops-like things. They can cover all kinds of things. And if you have a good manager that cares – they will unload you from those things to the point where you can do your primary job, which, you know, is discovery. Now, every product manager and every designer does need to save about an hour a day to answer questions that come up in delivery, right? Because there's always use cases that are identified or issues, and those are urgent. So there's it's not like there's nothing, but that's a very big difference, one hour a day versus what most of them are. used to doing. So it's it's not that hard. If you're interested in the various things you can offload, I wrote an article called Two in a Box, Product Management. Two in a Box. And it talks about the problems of when it's two people that try to cover the product role and how you really don't want to do that. Most companies that do that are doing it because it's too much work. But it shouldn't be too much work if you don't Throw all this on the same person.
1: Do you think that there's also, like you've you've mentioned a few times, that that is often the product manager that's holding on to all this stuff that they can't let go of. But do you think there's also um, an element of the engineer's expectation of the product manager is to cover off lots more than the the core essence of what a product manager needs to do? I don't know. I my experience with
2: engineers is and once an engineer has had a real product manager, they get very vocal when they don't have them. They, <laughs> they're like, you, you're not a product manager. I hear that all the time. They'll talk to, they'll complain about their product manager because they don't need a. The truth is they don't need that kind of project manager. They don't need it. Designers don't need A lot of designers say, you know, if that's what you're going to do, it's easier for me to do this myself. I'll cover the product role. Mm-hmm. So, you know that's not really helpful. Most of the engineers they really want, they need and want a real product manager.
1: Cool, Marty. If it's all right, we'll just ask one more question because it's so great to have you here to pick your brains about all of these things. Um, We wanted to ask you about the coaching movement that um, we have seen uh, taking off across the product world, and I know that you've kind of really encouraged this as well and with your generous giving of time to lots of product coaches um, in the UK and I think across the world now, potentially. So tell us about kind of the importance of the product coach and um, and and what you see as the direction that, that product management is going to go in with this role within uh, different businesses.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason we care about it is realistically we're losing the battle. Uh, the, the the forces creating terrible product teams and terrible product companies are much stronger. I, uh, to me, this is irrational because why wouldn't companies wanna be working like the best? But uh, I understand. And a lot of them, you know, they, they are attracted to formal processes and predictability and they just really don't have the appetite for real product. But the truth is, I think we're losing the battle hole overall. Just look at the rise of things like Safe, and and there's no real product management there. That is just sorry. So we're like, and just so you know, SVPG, we're we're six people. <laughs> what are we going to do? We've been, you know, we're generally booked out a year in advance. We can't we can't solve this. So it seems to me the big thing that we need to do as an industry is we need a lot more product coaches out there can help. The challenge is there aren't that many people that have experience working in strong product companies. And of course, there are in an absolute number, there's a good number of them, but they're immediately go and start other companies. (laughs) And so (laughs) they're not like all that many that are eligible to be coaches. So we wanted to figure out a way to find people that really have the passion to be a coach, they've done some product work before, but they really need a leg up so that they can, um, you know, really succeed as a product coach. And I, I think that's sort of the the only scalable solution I can think of. And so we are trying to focus more on we call it coach the coaches, just just help the coaches so they can. Because they're the ones that are going to be there in these thousands of companies helping. We can't be there. That's where that comes from. And the good news is, I really didn't know. We did one session in London, as Randy was at, and it was opened all across Europe. We had people from 22 countries. And then um, we have another session coming up next month in New York that has, we invited product people from the rest of the world. <laughs> um, and, you know, honestly, when we started, we didn't know if, we didn't know how many people even wanted to pursue a career like this and how many would be interested in, you know, learning these practices and stuff. And the good news was we were really amazed by the, the number of people that want to do that. So the good news is we had a terrific, you know, result out of the London session. Our goal was to get, our goal was to get at least 10 people we could recommend as coaches. And we ended up with way more than that. So that was great. And uh in New York I, I'm we have the same goal and I'm very optimistic. The people that applied, we had some great people that applied and so we'll do it. It's it's um, you know, hopefully it'll go well. I think I'm already seeing the results of these people going off and helping other companies and so I love that.
1: Amazing. I have a I have another suggestion for you for a scalable solution to solving the world's product problem or bad product business practice i gotta <laughs> hear this tv us. show i think a TV show. we need the marty kagan tv show saturday night on the main channels <laughs> like you know some sort of tv show bit like dragon's den kind of business is, like is that what
2: we call shark tank oh yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. shark <laughs> Yeah. How did you? Well, end? I like the
2: way you think, Lily, but I held <laughs> <felt> your breath. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
1: get I'll get my agent to get in touch with your agent. <laughs> oh no, it's been really great chatting to you. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Well, thank you for inviting me. Good luck, you two. Thank you.
1: The Product Experience is the first
0: and the best
1: podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith.
0: And me, Randy Silver.
1: Lou Ron Pratt is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor.
0: Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW. That's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank. Regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide.
1: If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank.